Hello, everybody. This is Grace Cho, CEO of Entrepreneur Creative Careers Podcast, where we help creators succeed. Today, we have a treat. I speak to a good friend and a brilliant architect, Rich Granoff. Rich Granoff is the founder and CEO of Granoff Architects, a leading architectural firm in Greenwich, Connecticut. Since its inception in 1989, Rich has grown the company into a thriving design studio with over 30 top professionals. Today, Granoff Architects offers design services throughout the country in four disciplines, residential architecture, commercial architecture, interior design, and landscape architecture. He is widely recognized as an industry leader, and as a result, he and his firm have received many design awards. He's been featured in national television, such as Good Morning America, MTV Cribs, The New York Times, and many, many magazines. Rich has lectured in sustainable design. He is an active real estate developer and focuses on sustainability and green design, which are very important topics to me. So it is such a treat. Welcome, Rich. Thanks, Grace. Uh, pleasure. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. Well, such a great thrill. Now, this is a question I usually like to ask all my guests. Where did you go to school? What did you study? And what drew you into this field? I was growing up on Long Island in my neighborhood. I was a little kid and they were building houses. And I thought it was really cool just seeing houses being built. And I used to go hang out at the construction sites and uh, started having lunch with the construction workers. And that just got ingrained in my head that you could actually build something in real life that people get to live in. And at the ripe old age of 13, I came home to my house and I said to my parents, I want to be an architect. And they looked at me like I was crazy because I, I come from a blue collar family and they didn't see architecture coming. But from that moment on, I just started reading magazines. I actually got into sustainable uh, energy in, at that point in the 70s when solar started happening. And then when it came time for college, I only applied to architecture schools and ended up going to the Syracuse University School of Architecture. And that's uh, uh, architecture is a five-year Bachelor of Architecture program. And uh, I, I didn't realize how intense it was going to be, but I jumped into the pool and uh, I, I survived the five-year program. And uh, I studied architecture, which is a pretty, pretty um, elaborate uh, schooling, as you can imagine, because, you know, there's a design track and then there's technology and then there's history. So there's a lot of different, uh, you know, buckets of, uh, of study to become an architect. You knew early on. That's incredible. At the age of 13. Definitely knew pretty early. And I, you know, again, I don't know, really know where it came from, but you know. Was anybody in your family an architect? Nope. No. No, no, no architecture anywhere. There's some, there's some music musicians and uh, creative types and photographers. But anyway, now I have a son that's an architect. There you go. So. Oh, <laughs> passing down the tradition. That's wonderful. What would you say to your younger self now that you've been in this racket for a long time? What would you tell him about this discipline? You know, not much different than I did. I just knew I wanted to do it and then stuck to it. Um, it, it. As I said, it's a tough road to become an architect. After you graduate from college, then you need to do a three-year uh, apprenticeship or, or internship, which is also um, you know a low-paying situation. And then after that, you're entitled to uh, take a grueling licensing exam, which is issued by the state. And that's also usually a one or two-year process because it's a, a six-part exam. So it's a 10-year uh, you know, commitment. It's almost like saying, I want to be a doctor. And uh, you, know, you have to really want to do it and, and commit to it. And, you know, that's what I would say to myself, stick, stick to it. If you love it. I know a lot of people who call me and say their child wants to be an architect. Well, you know, what's your advice, you know, et cetera. And I'm like, you know, 
first make sure you really are, are committed to what's ahead because it's not a you know it sounds sexy but it's it's a hard uh, it's a hard road to get there and then even once you once you you know once you do all that it's it's not the highest paying profession but then again the, the job satisfaction is i think one of the highest of any professions well that's an important point because if it's hard if it's difficult it's not always the money where do you draw the fulfillment from you mentioned job satisfaction how do you define that well, it's it's a fun profession in that you're creating things, you know, you're building things, you're you're you're, um, you're, you're changing people's lives by the buildings you create, uh, usually or hopefully. You know, I drive around town now and I see all my buildings around, and it's like they're my children, and it's like, wow, you know, I built that. You know, there's a concrete satisfaction to it, as opposed to being like a you know a stockbroker or whatever it might be, or, or a lawyer. It's you know, there's a lot of paper being pushed around and. Granted, you're helping people and providing a service, but architecture, you're providing a service and then there's an end product, if you will, right? There's a building or a space or a restaurant or whatever it might be. So um, I think that's one of the reasons job satisfaction is high. The pay is relatively low because that's the industry, like a lot of creative industries. That's just the way it is. And I say relatively, but it's, you know, it's all relative, isn't it? Yes. So when you look back on your prior projects, has your approach changed or evolved at all? Well, that's a good question. So uh, approach, I, I, I tend to, well, I have a saying, it's like, it's all architecture. Where that comes from is it doesn't matter whether I'm hired to design a doghouse or design a 30-story building. The process is actually very similar in, in architectural design, which is, you know, we're given a, usually a site, a piece of property or a piece of land or, a, you know, a spot in the city, a site that our client owns. Or, or wants to own. And then we have what we call a program. The program is what do I want to build here? You know, is it a doghouse? Is it an apartment building? Is it a, an office tower? What, that's the program. And then there is always the, the schedule and the budget. You know, how fast does this have to happen and, and how much do we have to spend? And then, it, you know, again, you, you design it and then you get it built. So the process is actually the same. What's evolved for me over my 30 plus years in the business is you, you always start out a career doing small things. And for me, my, my, my earliest projects were what I call commercial interiors projects. They were, you know, restaurant, office interior, uh, lobby renovation, whatever, and, and, and also some houses. Or we started out doing house renovations way back in the beginning. And, uh, and to this day, we still do uh, commercial interiors and house renovations. That said... Uh, over the years, the project started getting bigger and, and, and more complex. And, you know, house renovations led to new, new homes and new homes led to very big new homes. And, you know, an apartment renovation led to an apartment building and a small apartment building led to a big apartment building. So the point is, you know, the process has been the same, but now we're doing larger projects. But, you know, we don't, we don't do things very differently than, than we used to. Other than now we have technology that we didn't have 30 years ago, right? So when I first started, I was drawing with a, with a pencil, you know, using an eraser. And uh, obviously now we're using computers and doing 3D modeling. But, but those are just tools. Those don't really change the design process uh, significantly. Interesting. And aside from the tools, do you see the architecture market, sort of the industry changing in any way? What are some of the current trends as you look out to the world of architecture? 
I tend not to follow trends, but you know, obviously, as I said before, technology has affected um, really every aspect of the design and construction field in that we have tools now uh, on the design side. As I mentioned, we have 3D modeling and uh, CAD systems, which uh, uh, just allow us to be more efficient in our design time. You know, if I was drawing a building back in the beginning and I had, it had 100 windows, I had to draw each of those windows, you know, separately by hand you know mm-hmm. now now you create one window or you you grab a window out of a, a, a library and then you just copy it you know a hundred times so you spend less time doing tasks and uh and now we spend more time you know in in actual design and obviously dealing with clients and the whole process of uh, of design and then on the, on the construction side similarly you know technology has has helped the whole construction process with communication tools and Zoom meetings and on-site cameras, you know, et cetera. And then also technology has enabled us to have a whole host of new materials, um, what we call composites. We use very little wood anymore. There's a lot of new products that are fabricated uh, using computers and complex shapes that are are, uh, 3D printing and and things like that, that just have have evolved the world of design and construction. But, you know, we still build the building from the ground up and uh, it's still a little bit of an ancient uh, craft, if you will. Mm -hmm. We mentioned in your bio that your focus is sustainability and green design. And I know a little bit about that, but for those who may not be so familiar, what is green design? So, you know, it's a lot of different things. We, we, we use the term greenwashing and that some people or some, you know, developers just use the whole green sustainable angle as, as, a, as a marketing tool. But, you know, sustainable design goes back a long way. I mentioned like early in my career, I was into, I got into solar energy. You know, sustainability is really a holistic way of, uh, of designing and building with the, the overarching theme of sustainability is energy usage, is, is using uh, less or zero energy in a building, in operating a building, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you go back 20, 30 years, you know, uh, energy was cheap. And no one really focused on energy efficiency and houses weren't insulated and, you know, cars got 10 miles to a gallon, you know, et cetera. You know, fast forward as energy has gotten more expensive and we now realize or some of us realize that there's uh, something called climate change. So the fact is that buildings are responsible for 35% of the carbon emissions in the world, right? Mm. How is that? Buildings have to be heated and cooled and use electricity and fossil fuels to, to be heated and cooled. The core of sustainability, sustainable design, is lowering the carbon footprint of a building. And, and the low-hanging fruit is what we call the building envelope, and that is the outer walls and, and glass and now we super insulate the outer walls and we have super high performing glass so that probably a typical building these days uses 25%. A new building uses 25%, I would say, to 35% of the energy because the thermal envelope is, is so robust that the amount of heat loss or, or cooling loss is, is reduced significantly by having a robust thermal envelope. The other half of the, of the coin there is how the uh, heating and cooling is actually accomplished. And we really use very little fossil fuels uh, these days, which means we don't have a lot of oil, oil tanks and oil in buildings. We don't have a lot of gas and gas supply. It's actually uh, headed towards more uh, electric, more electric heat pumps, we call them, that are, that are super, super efficient. Uh, electric appliances and uh, convection cooktops instead of gas and uh, 
Besides the whole uh, energy efficiency piece, th there's also the fossil fuels. So a gas stove in a kitchen, for example, which is being phased out in many municipalities, including New York City. Mm -hmm. And there's even been discussion of nationally going that direction. You know, when a gas stove and the pile lights burning in your house, it's, it's off gassing. It's providing noxious fumes mm -hmm. in the house. So, so a whole other bucket of sustainability and green design is is related to healthy, healthy air, right? Healthy buildings, you know, if you will. And then there's a few other smaller buckets of sustainability, which are, are, are materials, uh, using recycled materials, using locally sourced materials. So I can put a granite countertop in that comes from Vermont, or I can put a, a granite countertop in that comes from China. Uh, obviously, if it's coming from China, it's going to you know have a, a long trip on a boat, which is not necessary because I can get granite that's just as nice from Vermont. So that's locally sourced materials. And another one is a water usage. So as, mm -hmm. as we know, there's a pretty big worldwide water shortage. We take it for granted where we are because you turn the faucet on and the water comes out. But in, in many parts of the world, water is scarce. In many parts of the United States, water is scarce. So we, we, we now use a low flow plumbing fixtures that use half the water. And we recycle what we call gray water. So let's, for example, water running off your roof would typically go into a leader and then go into the sewer system. But instead, we can take the water uh, off of a roof and store it in a, uh, in a tank uh, underground on your property. And that same water can be used for irrigation for your landscaping. Uh, so instead of wasting water and then buying more water, you're using the water. Um, it's kind of a double success reusing that water. So, so those, are the, those are some of the basic tenets of, uh, of sustainable uh, and green design. It's so fascinating. I love that, you know, especially after COVID, where I think COVID forced us to look at life slightly differently differently and really focus on the true meaning of priorities and things like that. Have you seen a difference in the way uh, buildings are architected after COVID? Yeah, the biggest one, well, there's a couple, but the biggest is work from home, right? We usually have had a, an office in a house that we build or, you know, a nook or, or, a, or, a, or what we call a Zoom room in, in apartments. But now, you know, you need multiple. <laughs> you need two offices when you're building a house and, you know, a co-working space in an apartment building, you know, et cetera. So the work from home thing has not only mandated that we have more space to work, dedicated space to work in a house because as we know you you kind of need some quiet or be able to close a door to get work done at home especially if there's kids and pets and spouses and other people around so we definitely dedicate more space to remote working that's really been one of the biggest post-covid the other one is that just people are spending more time at home i you know i saw a trend for years of houses getting smaller and smaller and apartments getting smaller and smaller now i'm seeing it kind of shift back up uh, at least a little bit that the typical homes are doing because they have two offices and maybe even some more work at home space and apartments as well. Um, you know, you really need a, if you got a, a small one bedroom apartment, you know, you, you really don't want to be working at the kitchen counter. So um, we try to dedicate a, a work at home space and, and in all of our projects now. That's wonderful. You know, architecture is so fascinating to me because it is sort of a, such an important indicator of how life is in a particular part of the world. And it's all reflected in the way we work and live and play. It's all about those spaces and how they're designed. It tells you a lot. Yeah. And look, I mean, you could say culturally what buildings look like are a reflection of, of a place and a time culturally. It's so true. In a wealthy society, the buildings are all, you know, spectacular and, you know, shiny and, <laughs> you know, and you go to poorer parts of the world and people are living in mud huts, right? 
And uh, exactly. it's, it's all architecture that reflects, you know, place and the time. And even mater materials tend to be locally sourced. That mud hut, the reason they're building mud huts is because that's all they got. Whereas in, in the U.S. And, and Canada, we have forests and we can build out of wood, mm -hmm. et cetera. You go to Florida, we build out of concrete uh, only because that's, there's no wood. So, you know, it, it, it is a very localized art, if you will. Art. I know you're an avid art collector. Tell us about how you got into art collecting. What kind of art do you like? Most importantly, how does art change a space when you're designing either commercial or residential? Sure. Well, well quickly, I got into art when I first got married a while ago. My, my wife's family actually had a small gallery and my wife grew up with art. I didn't grow up with art, but going to architecture school, I, I studied a lot of art and architecture. So I, you know, I, I I knew a lot about it, and my wife and I literally started collecting when we got married. And we, you know, we would typically buy a piece a year. At the time, you know, we were into Keith Haring and uh, Lichtenstein, and you know, mostly pop art and you know post World War II types of artists. We, you know, we bought a Warhol, and you know, these were small pieces, and we just enjoyed them and enjoyed the you know the visual aspect of them. And then, really, over the years, we've amassed a decent collection that now includes, you know, a bunch of, you know, kind of what I'm going to say, unknown uh, modern artists that, you know, are known in the art world, but they're not household names. And, you know, the pieces have gotten more diverse. We have some photography that we enjoy. We have some sculpture that we enjoy. So we're, we're, we're really into it. And um, we built a new home uh, a couple of years ago. And you asked about, you know, art in the space versus, you know, how, how art influences architecture. We, we literally designed a few places in the house for specific pieces of art knowing that we had a you know eight foot long uh piece by a certain artist we needed an eight foot wall and you know that doesn't you know you need to design that in as well as lighting for all, all of the all, all the art that we have in our house so you know mm -hmm. I, I was very careful in making sure all the places that art was going had the proper lighting and uh and also not being exposed to direct sunlight so that's kind of another one and 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 now we're um we're doing a bunch of landscaping and we're actually um planning a sculpture garden in our front yard. And we have kind of spots identified of where we'd like to have sculptures. And we're kind of in the market to buy a sculpture, <laughs> a steel outdoor sculpture now. So, uh, and I've had clients where we have had collections and um, I'm actually doing a house in, in Dallas right now for a, a collector. And he's got a piece that is 12 foot by 12 foot oil. Mm. It's a pretty big piece. <laughs> And uh, so the entry hall is 16 feet tall just to accommodate this piece of art. It's right when you walk in, there it is. So that's, that's a good example of designing, you know, architecture around art. You know, the flip side is if I'm designing a museum, and I haven't designed a museum, but if you design a museum, you, you need, you know, large, large wall spaces and proper lighting and flexibility, I would say, as well, right, is a, one of the hallmarks of designing around, uh, designing around art. Now, we've also designed around... Uh, Furniture, you know, like collectible types of furniture. One of my clients had a sofa that we had a, you know, fit. So we actually did an oversized room to fit the sofa. Sometimes there's a um, oversized dining table and things like that. So or mm -hmm. or a cherished light fixture. We we've done, you know, that can also be art. Well, I was going to ask the question when you're designing a room. Do you pick the furniture first and then the art, or the art before the furniture? Well, it depends on the client, and you know, if if they say I have this piece, I want to go in this room. Or if it's a piece of furniture, so we you know, we work many different ways. Right. But we always consider furniture when we design rooms. And in, in, in fact, some architects ignore it 
early on in the planning stage. They just do rooms and say, we'll figure that out later. To me, to me, it's very important to understand how a room is being furnished. You can really change the space. Typically, there's at least one wall in a room that you could put something on. And uh, right. but I do have the conversation with my clients early on, and many of them are collectors. So it's not, mm-hmm. not surprising. So different than cars. I mean, I have clients that collect cars. And then, you know, how many cars, how many car garage do you want, right? I mean, and I've done up to 2030, but oftentimes it's, you know, four, six, eight. And then we have to figure out where all the cars are going. You know, sometimes we stack them. <laughs> cars can be art also, as you know, as collector cars, you know. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of client and their wishes and all of that, from your point of view, is there a particular project that when you look back that you're very, very proud of and one that you would share with your grandkids someday? <laughs> what is a project that you really are just like? Well, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch. They're, they're, there's, they're not all, you know, they're, they're all kind of like my children. But, you know, the, the building that I'm sitting in now is uh, my office building that I own. It's, it's, a, it's a landmark building in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's called the Granite Architects Building now, mostly because I put my name on it, and that's what it's called. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it was a it was a cool project because it's a hundred year old former electric company building and it, it was built in the twenties and uh, the electric company basically had it for ninety five years and they said we don't no longer need this building and and I bought it it's you know it's a historic building it's brick it's a it's actually an Art Deco style brick building that I completely gutted. I restored it. You know, the exterior was restored and uh, won a bunch of historic awards for the work we did on the outside. But on the inside, it's a really cool, modern, kind of funky uh, office space um, for me. And also we have a bunch of tenants in the building. So it's cool because, I, you know, it's kind of a landmark in town at this point in Greenwich, Connecticut. But at the same time, I get to come to work in it uh, every day uh, and I own it. I'm a landlord. So it's kind of it kind of feels good uh, all, all around. And I, I will definitely, my grandkids will definitely, uh, well, they'll own it because I'm never selling it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe my kids will sell it though. So, my, you know, who knows? <laughs> Very proud of it. That's wonderful. Is there a dream project that you wish to do? If you were a king of the world for a day, what is that dream project? Well, you know, I think every architect dreams of doing that big skyscraper. H- haven't done it yet. We've done a couple of, you know, eight and 10 story buildings and we have a, a couple of 20-story buildings on, on the boards that we're designing that haven't gotten built yet. So, you know, that's that's kind of a, an easy one. But I'm just starting to work on one that I, that I think might be my dream project. It's a resort on an island in Anguilla. Oh. And it's a 500-acre property, and the client wants to turn it into a – literally, he wants it to be the, the, the nicest resort in the Caribbean. And it's got all these components. It's got a hotel, and it's got villas, and it's got houses and restaurants. and a small golf course and, and a helicopter pad. So it's um, just starting to work on it. And uh, I hope it'll come to fruition. It, it should. That's a dream project. There you go. And I get to that go to Anguilla. Amazing. Yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> I can't wait to see it when it's done. <laughs> Me too. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. How long do these kinds of projects, mean, what's, what's this time span? I'm sure there's a range, but like oh, yeah. start to finish. What, what's the, what's well, the range? You know, our, our smaller projects, which, which as I started out by saying is a, commercial interior or a, uh, or a home renovation it can be six months to a year. That's from when you say start design to when mm-hmm. you move in, you know, and, and you're done. Our average projects are two to three years, which would be a, you know, significant new home or an apartment building, uh, a modest apartment building project and that uh, two to three years. And then the bigger projects like the Anguilla Resort and uh, I have another uh, resort project I'm working on. Those are literally 10 year projects. 
And by the way, a skyscraper is a 10-year project. Mm. That's about as long as it gets, you know, unless it's a multi-phase ongoing, you know, multi-building type of project. But, you know, so, you know, average two to three years and up up to 10 years. And uh, it's a long time to be spending with a with a client and a team and <laughs> cast of characters. But one of the things I love about what I do is every project's different. It's never the same. There's different people. There's different sites. There's, you know, everything's different. The aesthetics are always different. And uh, and we, we never, we almost never do the same thing twice. I mean, mm. um, we don't, we don't have a, a specific style, if you will, because, you know, it just depends on a lot of things, you know, left alone, we'd like everything to be modern and cool and funky, but it's not for everybody. So we, you know, some places we have to tone it down a little bit. And, and there's also a whole piece I didn't really talk about of what we call entitlements or approvals. You know, it's not just what we want to do and what our client wants to do. It's what the, what the town or the city will, will let us do. And we have to go through a whole process of uh, getting an approval on literally any, anything and everything we do as architects needs a permit. So it's just a matter of whether it's a simple building permit or whether it's a multi-year process of, of, of going through various agencies and, and different constituent groups. As a field of architect, when you look out in your field, are, are there things that they should be doing more of that you, you're not seeing? In general, the architectural profession is tasked with leading the charge on sustainability in buildings, right? That's all we can control is buildings. The automobile right. industry and or the government regulating the automobile industry is, is charged with you know sustainability in in, in, in that in, in that field and then there's the oil companies and everything else so the you know, regulation helps but our architecture as a profession we we feel it is our obligation to uh, educate um, our clients and to make our buildings as sustainable as they can be not all architects either feel it's it's critical or you know whatever it might be feel they have the time or the or they have excuses why they don't you know further the cause if you will uh, granted there's some client pushback in, in certain instances for all kinds of reasons i don't want to get into politics but our job is to make our buildings as green as possible mm-hmm. every project and uh mm-hmm. so that that's a big big part of the architectural profession is is helping solve this um this global crisis that we're uh we're going through. It is an incredible field if you think about it. It is the ultimate convergence of cultural, social, financial, historical. There's science and there's technology. It's all like mushed into one yeah. thing. Well, what I say, it's right brain, left brain. There's not a lot of fields that you need to go right brain, you know, left brain. And you need you need to have it both. Um, and that's part of the schooling. You know, it's um, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I'm not good at math. I can't be an architect. You definitely can. You need to have a mathematical mind, but you don't, I don't sit here and do trigonometry all day long. And at the yeah. other extreme, you know, a lot of people come to architecture through the art, artistic side. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a good draftsman. I, I, I can, you know, I can sketch. I can, uh, I can create. I have a creative mind. That's the other extreme. You know, that, that's good and that helps, but that doesn't make you an architect either. So, um, you know, I consider myself right down the middle is that, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay at both ends of the spectrum. And, you know, you need to know, you need to know a lot, uh, a little bit about a lot of things. How's that to be an architect? It's absolutely true. It's a very complex field. And with that, if some young person comes to you today and says, you know, I want to be an architect, what advice do you give them? (laughs) 
Well, and I, I get this a lot. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm happy to speak to almost anybody that says they want to be an architect. What, what I tell them in a nutshell is here's the good news. It's a fun profession and, you know, you get to build things and it's, you know, it, it, the job satisfaction is really high. That's the good news. The bad news is schooling's a bitch and, uh, you know, you, you're going to make less money than most people that worked in, that, in hard at school. So, so that's the beginning of the spiel. The next thing I advise everybody that's a high school student that says they're interested in architecture, do a summer program in architecture. So almost all of the major architecture schools, and there aren't a lot, there's a handful, they mostly offer a, what they call a summer program for high school students. And I think it's, they offer it two years. I think it's um, uh, sophomore to junior and junior to senior, the summer. And my son who said he wanted to be an architect, I, I sent him to two different summer programs. I sent him to Pratt and to Syracuse. And from those programs, there's three, there's three responses. One is, you know, I love this. I want to do it. The second is, I love this, but I'm not sure I want to commit to the, to the schedule. And the third is, I thought I loved this, but I don't. <laughs> and no matter what comes out of that, it's all good because you don't want to think, you know, you want to go to architecture school and then get there and be like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. So. It's just a tough program, that's all. And you, um, I'm not making this up. It's, it's very well known in the profession that the schooling is incredibly hard. If you, if you talk to any, any student that, like Cornell, for example, has a, a great architecture school, you talk to anybody at Cornell, they'll say, oh, the architecture students, we never see them. They're over in that, in that building over there, and they, they never come out. You know, so it's, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Funny. But uh, it's true, so. I have a newfound respect for architects that they really have a love for what they do. To me, I could never do anything else. And, you know, I'm glad I decided to do it, but it's, you know, I'm having fun. So it's all good. It's wonderful. Is there a project that you're working on now that you can share that you'd love to talk about or no? Yeah, I'm talking about any of my projects. I just just, um, signed up a couple of projects in Providence, Rhode Island, which is a city that um, I only knew from studying it, historic city. Uh, mill, an old mill town, if you will. And a, uh, a partner of mine, actually, um, a development partner. We didn't talk about real estate development, but I do that. In my spare time, I do that. So a partner called me and said, um, a friend of his in Portland, you know, called and said he's got a, he's got a, a line on some great buildings that um, could be converted. So I took a trip up to Providence a couple of weeks ago and old mill buildings and uh, a downtown really cool uh, Eight, late 1800s office building. And you know, long story short, we're, um, looks like we're going to buy them. And um, I'm in the middle of literally on my desk right now. I'm trying to figure out how to convert these buildings to, to apartment buildings. I and mean, that's just, you know, it, it's kind of a, a, a puzzle of using what's there and, you know, figuring out how it's all going to work and how many apartments can I get in this, in this building. So it's a new, it's a new, it's adaptive reuse again, as we talked about, but it's a new, it's a new city for me. And uh, so I'm excited about that. That's wonderful. And from what I know about your work, not only are they, you know, just top-notch design, but they're also so beautiful. So you have that visual impact when you walk into your spaces. So you do a great job of that as well. Thank you. Beauty is an eye of the beholder, but I appreciate that. That's wonderful. <laughs> so wonderful. Rich, is, it's been a, such an incredible pleasure. I would love to invite you back at some point and give us an update of where you are. Happy would that be, be okay? It's all good. Rich, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a busy guy, so we really appreciate it. You're welcome, Um, Grace. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is Grace Cho from Entrepreneur uh, signing off. Bye-bye.
Thank you.